So here we are in a system not designed for women, not designed for millennials, not designed for inclusion. A system that is finally changing. Let's get familiar. Let's talk about business. Let's talk about lifestyle. Let's talk about womanhood. I'm Leslie Gray, bringing you passionate, informed guests to talk about millennial women building wealth, power, and influence in our modern era. The future for women and wealth is brighter than ever. Welcome to Love and Dividend. There's no place like home. There is no place like home. There is no place like home. We sure have spent a lot of time at home, haven't we, listeners? (laughs) If you've been listening since season one, you have been with me through essentially the entire global pandemic, from the first stay-at-home order to finally now when Canada has finally gotten vaccinated. And we are just finally in Ontario opening up again and getting to leave the home. Here's the thing. There's no place like home. While being at home, it's given me a lot of time to think about what the home I live in should look like, what it should feel like, where I want to live, what I need there, what I want the community around me to be like, what day-to-day living should be like. And I think that's true for everyone. We've certainly seen it in the real estate market, especially here in Toronto. It has gone way, way up. And I hope you, as smart, savvy financial women, are considering your next money move when it comes to real estate. I know a lot of you are. And that's why I wanted to do this episode about real estate. I wanted to bring on experts. Uh, One, she is a lawyer, Denise Lash, who owns her own law firm, Lash Condo Law. And she has so much wisdom to give about condos. We hopped on where I just said, like, why buy a condo? Why move into a condo? And she gave so much information. And then I had on a friend of mine, Kyle Guthrow. He is a speaker on the topic. He talks a lot about real estate investing. He's been doing it for over a decade. And he had so much advice of sort of getting started, some funny stories, and how to do everything from how you treat your tenants like they're your clients to how to think about cash flow and and how to really make real estate investment. I love when we can give those practical tips. But I want to speak now about what it is to have a home you love and cherish and live in and why that is so important to then be able to have a life full of adventure and fun and technicolor. I'm so grateful this season that I've been doing this with one of my childhood friends, a person who really feels like home, my producer, Holly Dodson, you hear at the end of every episode. She is a a home friend for me. We don't live even in the same country anymore. But because we've known each other since we were very, very little, we grew up in the same neighborhood. We have a small group of wonderful childhood friends that we still do things together, which I mean, I just feel so grateful to have. If you can have someone who's known you your whole life, you have someone who is the keeper of your history, the teller of your story. You have sister friends. I don't have any sisters personally. (laughs) If you've listened to some episodes, you've heard a lot of antics about my wonderful Aries brothers. 
but I feel so lucky to have soulmate friends and sister friends. Having that beautiful foundation of home, that safe place, that comfort means that Dorothy gets to dream about somewhere over the rainbow. Means that we get to leave home knowing it's right there waiting for us. Means that now that things are opening up, that now that perhaps we are able to travel, we can go out in the world, leave that black and white Kansas, I'm not in Canada anymore, world and step out into a technicolor dream world where we'll meet wonderful, beautiful witches of the north whose bubbly wand-waving personalities create a magical experience for us and other characters and friends. The reason we can have such adventures and make our way to emerald cities is because we know we have communities that support us. We know our homes are waiting for us. And then the best gift at the end of all of it is to realize that there is no place like home. Is to come to the place you started from and know it for the very first time. Is to have the kind of foundation that lets you go out and dream. To get into more practical terms, for me, that's a strong financial foundation. That's what I want our listeners to have the most is a basic understanding of finances, a thoughtfulness about how these systems that weren't designed for women, weren't designed for inclusion, weren't designed for millennials, can work for us, can build the kind of home that feels comfortable and safe and warm, but that allows for big dreams, for big adventures, for rolling up in a tornado and landing in the middle of Oz, and dancing your way in ruby slippers down a magical road. I know that for me, leaving home as a fiery, extroverted ball of energy means taking everything onto the dance floor. Means, some people say dance like no one's watching. I personally would suggest dance like everyone's watching. (laughs) Dance like everyone is looking to you to be like, Is it fun and safe on this dance floor? And perhaps move your feet at a crazy fast pace such that everyone says, that's a dance floor I want to be on. I hope that's the way this podcast has felt for you. That's what I've tried to design. I don't dance like no one's watching. I dance like everyone's watching. Because isn't it so much more fun to have a dance partner? And better still, isn't it? even more fun to have a wonderful cast of characters to dance together? Don't you want to just go through life arm in arm with a scarecrow, a tin man, and a lion who doesn't know how courageous he can be singing we're off to see the wizard? I think that's how I want to be. And that's why we need to be certain we're safe. Maybe what wealth is isn't just that home base. Maybe it's the ruby slippers themselves. Hang tight to them, Glinda says. If everyone wants this so bad, there must be power in them. Dorothy doesn't quite know how she got them. But as Glinda says, there they are, and there they'll stay. As women... We're not quite sure how it started, and sometimes you're not even sure if you haven't grown up with 
the confidence or someone telling you you're worthy of these ruby slippers, you might not quite understand how you got them. But hear me now, because there they are, and there they'll stay. And they have all the power you'll ever need. And at the end is when Glenna points and says, you've had it all along. Everything you need, you've had all along. Look down at those magical ruby slippers. Click your heels three times. You have the power to go wherever you want. And you have the power to find your way back home. I hope that home is a place you've chosen. I hope it's a family you've chosen. And I include in that family your chosen friends. I feel lucky for the ones I have and have chosen. Remember whatever you need has been right at your feet. And that what else you might need will come to you along your journey. Be open to it. Be ready for it. Expect it in different signs. And I'll see you beyond the yellow brick road. Why move to a condo? Well, no, I think location's the most important part of what you're buying. You know, um, Whether it's a home or a condo, you need to be held, happy in your environment. Um, also look around you because... You don't know. I'll tell you, I bought a condo. Um, my son is living in it. It's downtown Toronto. Um, he's been in it for a few years. And now the parking lot across the street is being developed into a high-rise condo. It's going to block the view we had. I'm not sure there's much you could do about it other than research your surroundings and see what they are. Uh, you know, if you had like a cross from a church or a heritage site or, you know, you may... Uh, your chances are that it's probably not going to be developed, but you you never really know. Um, so what's around you? Then when you're buying the condo unit itself, where is it located? Are you next to the elevator? Because I deal with a lot mm. of issues about noise complaints, right? Mm. You can't help being next to a noisy neighbor. So when you're moving into a condo, be prepared for noise. But I've had and I've acted for owners and condo corps dealing with elevator noise, garbage chute noise, uh, gym noise. So oh. are you above or below, beside the gym, across the hall? I had a client, poor client who was down the hall from the weight room or the gym room, major issues with sound because he works from home and a lot of people now are working from home. Noise is a big factor. So what is around your unit? How high are you? For me, look, this is just me. Uh, my son is on the 41st floor. I'm not sure I could do that. And sometimes, like, you can't, you don't have the option of taking stairs. You could take stairs down because let's say you have, you, you're in a rush, you have to get downstairs. And in a lot of condos, you can use the exit stairs. Yes, to go all the way down, but you can't go up them. You know, the elevators, how high you are. Review your declaration and your rules. The and do you think you need a lawyer to do that? And yes, you have to pay them. I don't know how much, maybe $800 or so. And people are shopping around for a cheap lawyer to do their deal. Mm. 
But this is worth the investment because I've seen situations where even simple things like you can't barbecue on your balcony. Now, it depends. You may be able to. You may not be able to. You may only certain types of barbecues because if it causes a nuisance to others like the unit above and smoke, even if you're allowed to have barbecues, there's that's always subject to causing a nuisance or to others. It's a big one now. And the Condominium Act is going to be changed very shortly to incorporate this issue of nuisance. Cooking odors can be a nuisance. Someone complain about your cooking. You know, you mentioned also noisy neighbors that you can never control them. It, is that a nuisance though? Like if the neighbors- That's a nuisance. Are, that's it's a, a nuisance. nuisance. They get a warning. Get a warning. Uh, but what you do is you like you call security at three in the morning if you have security. You know, that's another thing. Do you have a, oh, yes, a concierge and security? It's good to have, but your monthly fees, if you have security and concierge, are going to be higher with that. Yeah. And people always say, well, this building is, you know, a common expenses. That's what you call maintenance fees okay. are, you know, $400 less the building across the street. Well, you know, what does it include? And is the building properly maintained? Let's go back because you look, you're looking at what rules there are. I said barbecues, pets. We should talk about pets. We should. You have to look at not just the rules, but the declaration. It may be in both. And you may see pets walking around your condo, but it's a no pet building. And that could be because they were grandfathered. They were actually in the condo before the rules came into effect. So they're allowed to keep them probably until they die. Probably. Get out. That's crazy. So they could be, the rules could have changed, but if someone already had a pet, they get to keep the pet till the pet dies. Right. Or Would they a, pull the prank parents pull where the pet dies and then they get a matching pet. You know, has lived for 50 years. I was going to say, you've been coaching these people or, you know, there's all kinds of interesting pet stories. Like uh, some, some, Condos have rules on uh, weight restrictions, can only be 25 pounds. And so what they do is they get a puppy. It's no longer a puppy. You go after the dog, it's now exceeded the 25 pound uh, weight restriction. Wow. Or there's a lot of people that now have dogs or cats for various reasons, for mental health reasons. And so that's that's the human rights code. And it's an exemption. So even though the condo docs may say no, you may. And I say may because that's not always the case. You need evidence. You need, uh, you know, a doctor's note, uh, something to that effect. The condo court may take the position it's not, you know, that's not justified. They may go after your dog still. I always wonder, um, you know, you have a right to be in a condo, but sometimes if you need accommodation, it can be challenging. And just to consider that. Um, if you need peace and quiet, I don't think condo is the right place for you mm-hmm. unless you move into a townhome. There are townhome condos. So noise and then the, the common expenses. So when you purchase, you're going to look at the declaration rules, take a look at what the restrictions are so you know what you can and can't do. Uh, look at your location, but also look at your budget. Because uh, when you're 
purchasing a condo, you're going to ask for a status certificate, which is one of the most important documents when you're a purchaser. And that's the document that when we're saying you need a lawyer to review your condo docs, they review that status certificate. All the condo docs, the budget, there's a budget there. Every year, the condo board will review the budget, decide what their expenses should be. It's an estimate. And sometimes it's an overestimate. Sometimes it's an underestimate. So um, if it's underestimated, then maybe next year common expenses have to go up. Mm. If it's a big underestimate, then maybe you need a special assessment because you just didn't, you don't have the money and you need the money. So it's hard to know. It's like when you're living in a home, you have expenses. You don't always know what they are, but you can budget for them. It's the same thing with a condo. But the one thing a condo has, which I think is a great thing, is a reserve fund, which is a fund that every year, and this is the Condo Act requires this, a certain percentage of your maintenance fees goes into that fund for major repairs. Mm. And so if all of a sudden the parking garage needs extensive repairs, the elevators um, sometimes you need to replace the elevator, the roof. That's what the reserve fund is for. And so when you're getting a lawyer to review your documents, it's hard for a lawyer to review a budget and say, or, you know, it's a healthy budget. They, they won't be able to do that. But at least um, in the status certificate, it actually says whether the corporation is contemplating a special assessment or whether they anticipate there's going to be a deficit or a surplus in the budget. So that's why the status certificate is important. It also may say something about your unit in particular. It may say that the unit owner had uh, was in noncompliance and did something, and there's a chargeback against the unit. Uh, sometimes the status certificate will draw to your attention things that, that have been a, a problem in the past, like the pets, they don't have to, but they may say something like, be aware it's a no pet building, be aware. And then also there's some condos, you got to be careful if you're moving in. Usually, you know, if we're talking about a single person or a couple, it's fine. But if you're moving in like a family or you're having people live with you for a certain period of time, there's restrictions on occupancy, short-term rentals, um, you know, having someone live in your unit with you, you, these are all things you have to check ahead of time. Oh, one other thing I want to ask you about is electric vehicles. Yeah, that's a good one, too, because that's also new. Um, and, and now the Condominium Act actually has a section, a new section dealing with electric vehicle stations. Um, and when I spoke about section 98 agreements before, if an owner wants to do an alteration that may affect the common elements, uh, there's also now an agreement, very similar electric vehicle agreement, it's for his charging station. So you make the request to the board if the, if the corporation can accommodate it. So you may have a building in which there is a charging station that's common that you can use. So something to look at and also something to ask about is whether you could do it. Um, and then the costs of doing it, you need to 
look at that um, because that would probably be your cost if you're putting it in your spot and first, and you need to check whether it's possible to put it in your spot. What does wealth uh, mean to you? Well, you know what? It's something that I've been thinking about lately because it's not about the money, although the money can give you a sense of freedom. That's for sure. But right now, what I want most, and maybe this is where wealth comes in, um, is, is the time. Just the, the ability to, to do other things other than work. Oh, okay. One, one segment we do at the end of each episode is called Money Wins. And it's a way you spent, saved, or invested oh. your money that feels like a win. Oh my God. Okay. Wait, oh, wait do you got to go though? I don't want to. No, 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 no. I'm trying to show you something. <gasps> oh, great. Okay. I don't know if you could see. Looks, yeah. Your beautiful backyard. Is that no, a pool? Uh-huh. <gasps> what? It, it's like, there's a hot tub, there's a pool, and there's a f- built-in fire pit. <gasps> you know, I love a fire. I know. Fire's my favorite. So you will have to come over, but it's not even ready. So when you talk about, you know, what do you spend your money on? It's like, I thought, what do I want? Like, what do I, I don't know. The pool just seemed like a place where maybe I could, we could work from there. I'm going to have outlets. So, you know, you can bring your computer and work. So that's sort of, you know, that's what I've spent my money on right Denise, now. That is a great money win. I love that. Okay. Right. Be well, and I'll see you in August. You for yoga at your pool. Okay. Bye. Bye. Sometimes you have guests on your podcast really just so you can get invited to the Money Wins pool. (laughs) But thank you so much, Denise, for sharing about condos. I think that is the perfect first step uh, for anyone, especially in Toronto, to get into real estate. But like anything, once you get into it, it can be addictive. I think once you've gone through the first process of purchasing a property, you start to see how real estate investing can come together. When I think of real estate investing, I'm reminded of a friend of mine. Uh, He was one of the first people I knew who owned more than one property, was making money by renting it out. Sort of the first real estate investor I know. His name's Kyle Guthrow. He's a speaker on the topic. He's a really smart guy, and he graciously agreed to hop on to tell us what happens after you've taken the plunge, pull a metaphor, see what I did there, into real estate, and you want to level up and become a real estate investor. He had so many great tips when we hopped on Zoom. I hope you enjoy this conversation. How are you? Uh, I'm good. How are you? I like this background you have. It's very Canadian. Uh, I'm at the cottage. That's why. And I don't know. I love the stuff you've been doing. I've been following you on Clubhouse, by the way. You're doing some cool stuff there. Thank you. Thank you. Try to have some fun in there as well and learn a lot. Amen. I was thinking, you know, (laughs) who, what, when, where, and how. So. So the first thing I always recommend if you are getting into real estate, the very first purchase is set up a business, a business bank account. Keep it completely separate. Everything. Mortgage goes in there. Rents go in there. 
property taxes, insurance, utilities, any repairs, property management, all that should funnel through that bank account. Do not mix them with your personal credit card. Because when it comes to tax time, you're like, hmm, I bought something at Home Depot. I don't know if it was for my house, the rental, or something else. It just helps with the guesswork. It just keeps things clean and concise. The conversations I find with a lot of newbie investors, yeah, they get lost in the organization. And they are just not organized. They cannot keep on track of where that email is or that dialogue or that conversation or even just where your leases are or even an application for a mortgage. Remember, time is money. And if you're not organized, it's going to cost you because you're now going to be sifting through emails. And I unfortunately still struggle with this because I am my weak point is administrative work. But by keeping organized and doing it kind of daily, it definitely helps not saving it for the end of the year when the tax time's doing, you're like buried in invoices and, and receipts. And the, the line I always use is hard work is easy work. You didn't do the first time. Like if right. you do it now, it's very easy. If you just save it to this folder I've set up for you, if you just put the email, it's two seconds. You want to wait till the end of the year. It's hours, days, it's sleepless nights. And I like that you're noticing that in new investors. I think a lot of people don't take the time. We also overestimate our ability to do it later. So that's kind of the organization, the financial side of it, even the little bit of the tax side of it, which we can dive down that rabbit hole, the massive incentives that owning real estate offers. But also, so from the client facing side of it, dealing with tenants, no word of a lie, brand new townhouse, don't do my due diligence like I should have. Rented out, young guy, first night, no word of a lie. I get a phone call from the Hamilton police. First night at 2.30 in the morning saying, we are kicking your door down. I'm like, what the hell happened? (laughs) Hi, it's the police. I was like, are you the owner of this property? I was like, yeah. Like, we need to kick your door down. I'm like, why? Like, uh, because the tenant in there had a monstrous party, literally a massive brawl happened in the street. And the next day I went to the house to assess the damage doors all smashed. I'll never forget this feeling. And this is where I said I had to do better as, as a landlord. The next door neighbor literally was crying on her driveway in front of me saying, look what they did to my car. There's blood on their car because of the fight. We bought this neighborhood thinking it was safe and you have jeopardized that. Now I've got this developer that I've been working with. I've got my family's purchased four off of him. Now I'm starting to see new developers go in this neighborhood and it's starting to sprawl. So Stony Creek was very farmland before. Then it started getting bigger and bigger and it's still expanding to this day. It's crazy how much it's sprawling. For those that know Hamilton or even the listeners that kind of understand Hamilton, it's spreading up even to the Hamilton airport now, which is insane to think about. So I started getting in with other developers and getting some of their pre-builds. So at one point- How did you get to know the developers? Like, yeah, how did you get into that space? You'd met the one from buying the home with your your Mm -hmm. partner. Uh, Just through communication. Remember, these weren't- monster developers like they are some of them out there like if i said some names like madame homes and stuff like that one of the biggest builders in the in north america maybe i wouldn't know them but some of these developers were on the smaller scale they're obviously much bigger now in the past 10 years 
but you were able to still have conversations with them. So I was able to negotiate because I was coming in with economies of scale with my, my brothers and my dad to say, hey, we'll buy these three, but we want free upgrades or we want this layout or we want this elevation. So we were able to negotiate versus the person that just comes in sight on scene maybe doesn't have that power. The, these new houses get delayed, uh, which I'm okay with because the deposit structures on new townhouses were minuscule compared to what they are now. What, like so what percentage or what? Not even a percentage. Buying Pardon? a $240,000 house, all I had to put down was 20 grand. Oh. <laughs> Whereas if you go buy a new condo now, you need to have 20% down. Totally. And the hard part, and this is where I'll stress the difference between a condo and a new build townhouse or a new build house, turnaround time for a new build townhouse, four to six months. Turnaround time for a new build condo, three to four years. Yeah. So you put in a 20% or even a 15% down payment on a six or $700,000 condo. That's some big big money that's locked up for three years. That's not doing anything. You know, there are scenarios where then it never gets built. And to put that amount of money for that long of a time, again, could be a big payoff if if that, I also know friends who have done that and then sold a year later the pre-build. So they waited on it, but then, and made a ton of money. So yeah. too often I meet with a lot of investors that, oh, I want to get into real estate because uh, this house went up by $100,000 in a year. That's like putting a triangle upside down. You got to start with this this way, not this way. So let me explain. Yeah, explain. When you buy an investment property, the most important piece, hands down, is cash flow. I will not stress this more than enough. How do you get cash flow? Through mortgage pay down, through your tenant's rent. If you are buying a negative cash flowing property from the start, is that an asset or a liability? It's a liability. Too often I hear people say, oh, I'm buying it because it's going to appreciate in value. What if it doesn't? What if we don't experience like the market we've had in the last six months or even six years? It could flatten out. And guess what you're stuck with? A negative cash flowing property. And how many times will the bank keep giving you mortgages if you do have a negative cash flowing property? So the first and most important piece is always cash flow. Buy it for cash flow because then you're not going to be buying for hype. Can we break down the concept of cash flow? Yeah. Can you just give just a practical example? Your rent is, let's just use very round numbers. Your rent is $2,000 a month. Your mortgage and interest on that mortgage, let's call it, is uh, $1,400 a month. Your taxes, your property taxes are about $330 a month. So we're now up to $1,730. Your insurance on your property is probably going to run you, depending on where it's located, between $50 to $100 a month. So now we're at $1,870. You have to pay for maybe some minor utilities, allocate for property management, which is run you between 8 to 10% of gross rents. And whatever's left over is left in cash flow. If that number is positive, so if your rents cover all of that plus a little bit, there's your cash flow. Now, so in your example, you're paying almost two, I think we're almost up to $2,000 is what it costs you per month to own. And you're only able to rent it out at 1500. You have a negative cash flow in that it's costing you $500 a month. Who's paying for that? That's coming out of your pocket. And the hope is 
that what you're really doing is putting $500 a month into a property that one day will sell. But to your point, there's no guarantee of that. Whereas you'd want those numbers flipped if all of the costs going in are less than when you're renting it out for, then you have a cash flow positive situation. And then you can feel good about that investment. Is that right? Absolutely. And here's the other thing that you need to watch out for when buying real estate. Stuff will break 100%. And when it does, it is expensive. A new roof is going to cost you four or $5,000. Windows are going to cost you about $500 each. Uh, appliances constantly break. You got to remember tenants are not going to treat your house like the way you do. So the wear and tear is actually accelerated by almost three to four times what it is if you were to own it. Now, I'll take it even one step further. And this is what I constantly stress to newbie investors as well, even the experienced investors. When you buy your property, whatever it may be, I always explain to them, calculate what six months, yes, six months of rent costs. So if your rent is $2,000 a month, you better have access to 12,000. And the reason why I say that, and if you make it even one step safer, put it in to that property's bank account. Sleep at night fund. Sleep at night fund. Yeah. Okay. Because stuff will break, but here's the worst part. Because of COVID, I actually had one tenant stop paying me rent. Circumstances got so bad. Which they're allowed to, right? Presumably. Presumably. <laughs> Fortunately, I still had to pay all my bills. <laughs> Banks were still coming after me for my mortgages. I couldn't just stop saying, hey, I don't want to pay insurance anymore. So right. I had to carry that. What did they ended up doing? They ended up literally leaving in the middle of the night after five months of them not collecting rent. Excuse after excuse, we'll get you the money. Again, I was privy to the situation and I was being empathetic and sympathetic to it to turn around and literally get stiffed with like a $6,300 bill. Not only that, they stiffed me on a water bill for another four or 500 bucks. So that was seven grand just like that. If you don't have that separate bank account or that sleep at night fund, you're going to be stressed. Um, you know, we had a guest last time because a lot of people are like, do I invest in real estate? Do I invest in the stock market? I am big on also stock market invest. I'm big on just women investing in general. The numbers are horrifying. Less than 20% of women are investing in anything. So I'm the first to say, please get started. And, you know, with you can get in the stock market with less money. But the guest we'd had on noted that the, st- the Toronto Stock Exchange on average has always done better than every single neighborhood in Canada, including the big Toronto ones, big Vancouver ones, it is, it is always done better. And so the premise was, this is a better investment, but you've brought up the reason. I'm not sure I agree with that. And it's not quite true. And it is the fact that you, the bank will be your investment partner. Your mortgage will invest the other, you're exactly right. 80% with you. That is very phenomenal. I want to break down what you said before with the six months and the rent and the planning Because I think another thing that gets so prohibitive is someone says something like that, like you need 20% down payment and then six months and then more for closing costs. And I know a lot of people go, okay, then never mind. It's too complicated. So I do want to dissect it a little bit to be like, it's not an infinite amount of money, 20% for your down payment. I love that you're giving a number of six months of what you're renting it out for. 
I think that's really helpful. And then I think like an emergency fund, and I'm a big fan, whether it's real estate investing or just your money in general, you should have a separate account that's money sitting there. I love the term sleep at night fund. You, I think that's one of the most luxurious things you can have. $800,000, that's 800000 You could technically put four down payments of $200,000 each on four other properties. And now you own $4 million homes, one of which you live in, the other three rent out. It's very simple. So if the market goes up by 10%, even 3%, you compound that with a million dollar home and we'll keep the numbers simple. We'll go up 3% for the next 20 years. What's going to make you more money? $1 million at 3% for 20 years or $4 million at 3% for 20 years? That's the power of multiple and properties. Okay, because but now you're benefiting from all of them compounding. All of them compounding. And is the premise that the only thing I want to come back at, though, is that in theory, my mortgage is also compounding, even at a low interest rate. I'm still paying 2% on that $800 loan mm-hmm. times four. So, But who's paying your mortgage? So that's my question. So is the premise that the three have to all be rented out of course. for more? Of course. And then I'm still in my home paying my mortgage. Correct. So my home, like that one home, I don't get as much return on as the one I own outright because the mortgage goes against, but the other three make more than enough to compensate for that. But you got to remember that at the end of the day, the only thing you're out of is the 2% or 3% of interest that you're paying. We are on the cusp of seeing real estate literally in its highest levels. Um, It's skyrocketed in value. But what a lot of people don't talk about is that rents actually follow real estate prices. They're just massively delayed by about 12 to 14 months. So right now, rents are obviously not in equilibrium to what the asset is purchased for. Like give an example, rents in Stony Creek are around 21 to 26, depending on the asset. But because the, the real estate has rise so quickly, mark my words, in a year from now, people will not be able to purchase those $800,000 homes. It's actually creating a bit of a gap now, unfortunately, between the wealthy and the poor. And it's going to force more people into the rental market, which then drives the demand up, which then in turn pushes the rent up. And now what we're starting to see is rents really starting to climb. You're now starting to see as an agent bidding wars on properties for rent. My job isn't to be that greedy landlord that's everyone curses, but rather be that empathetic being like, guys, most important for me is I need the connection, the relationship for that person because I don't care how high the rents go. If you're not going to pay, you're of no value to me. So I look at their stability, their credit, uh, what kind of jobs they have. Could their job survive another pandemic? Like all those things I'm factoring in because that's more important to me than just fighting for top dollar. And I will always tell the audience, educate yourself in the tax system because that is where a lot of our money goes to, unfortunately, especially if you are in a top tax bracket. Like it breaks my heart to see these people make hundreds of thousands of dollars to then turn around and give 51% to the government. Now I'm all for, we got to spread the wealth. Don't hear this as I'm a capitalist that wants to just hoard money, but rather use the tax laws that are out there in your favor. 
remember, this is your money. You worked for it. The government's got their ways of getting enough taxes out of you. Every purchase you make, every property you buy, everything you sell, like the government's always going to make money off of us. And that's good. That's why we have free healthcare and everything else that is amazing with our country. But that being said, remember, you are a business owner treated as such. And whether you own a business or not, you are a business like you yourself. This one, I want to say, especially to every woman listening, especially to our audience who might say, no, like Kyle, cool that you own a lot of properties. I don't, I'm not a business owner. You are your own business and you are responsible for anything for making sure your business is highly valued through career negotiations, through making sure you're paid the most you can get paid. We did a bunch of riffs on how to negotiate salary, things like that to whatever assets you own, be this, be them stocks, be it real estate, you, but you are your business and you are responsible for ensuring your business is running in a tax efficient manner. And it's worth paying for good. 100%. Pay for so, a good account. Yeah. Because you're not responsible to read the entire tax act. I think where the balance is, is to know enough to be able to ask the right questions and to have that smell test when you're talking about your intuition, sort of knowing something wasn't the right thing to be able to sit in a meeting with potentially the wrong advisor have that feeling, know just enough to be like, that's not what I heard Kyle say or Leslie say, or this one say, I'm going to at least ask some diligence questions, or I'm going to shop around and talk to another professional. It's so obvious, but if it's someone to help you with real estate investing, are they themselves a real estate investor? Mm -hmm. If it's someone to help them with investing in the stock market, what do they own? I mean, that sounds so obvious, but I don't know if I've ever thought to ask that. And as a society, we unfortunately don't. We just always put everyone else on a higher pedestal saying, well, this person must know more, must be more experienced or do your due diligence on me. Make double check the things I'm saying. I'm not perfect. I say sometimes things out of tune and things that are incorrect. And you know what? Some might say that strategy doesn't work. Well, okay. I'm always a forever evolving student. I will always be a forever evolving student of this craft called real estate. I always want to learn. I always want to be in the rooms with people that have hundreds of properties, bigger uh, mindsets than me, because that's how you're going to grow. Now, if I could provide your audience with a piece of advice is be a ferocious reader when it comes to the space. When it comes to real estate investing, there is a plethora of books out there. Uh, I could name probably five or six of them, but just go out there. And then one particular one, you already mentioned it, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I love that. Very deeply into how the tax system kind of works and how real estate can shield you from that. The other one that's really good is called The Cash Flow Quadrant by uh, Robert Kiyosaki. There is an author out there that I'm actually near and dear friends with on the Canadian side. His name's Don Campbell. Uh, There is a ton of real estate investment groups out there. Can you tell us, sorry, just a Don Campbell that you'd recommend? We actually, it's this is for times we're just starting a book club segment by Popular Demand to our Instagram. Um, every every guest I have on the podcast usually has some good books for us. And uh, a bunch of listeners were saying, like, can you post them? Like, I'm scrolling through the episode trying to hear the book. So I will post it for everyone. But can you tell me what you'd recommend by Don Campbell so I can get it? Uh, I would say real estate investing in Canada is a good start. Great. Yeah. yeah. And then just even getting into the right mentorship groups, you don't need to spend tens of thousands of dollars to get mentored or coached or anything like that. All it's going to take is a little bit of education, a little bit of learning, and also just realizing that, you know what, things might not go right. 
if you're waiting for everything to be perfect, <laughs> real estate is not for you. Just keep learning the craft of called real estate because it is constantly changing. The rules shift, the laws change, accounting principles keep getting flipped up inside their head. Governments are putting new policies in place. And I think it's just important to always have your finger on the pulse on when those things happen. On that note, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. Do you love our podcast art? I'm actually obsessed with it. It was created for us by a very talented local artist right here in Toronto named Claire Fang. And due to popular request, we're making it available to you. Check out our website, loveanddividends.com to get your very own custom Love and Dividends swag. So even as the host of a financially focused podcast, I am constantly confusing these financial terms. What I did for myself was create a handy little cheat sheet to keep everything clear. And now I'm sharing it with you. I hope it will be a helpful tool as you tune in regularly to our show. I don't love the term cheat, but I love the idea of a cheat sheet. Sign up for our mailing list at loveanddividends.com to get a free copy of my beautiful Love and Dividends cheat sheet emailed right to you. What does wealth mean to you? Wealth means financial freedom, and it's not because of money. It's because of time. When you are able to replace your expenses with wealth and live on your terms without having to not work another day, that is financial freedom and that is wealth to me. Is that your goal, by the way, to be able to have enough so that you do you still work actually? I don't even I don't even uh, ask. Do you still yeah, I, I still work. I still <laughs> do you still work. have like a nine to five job or is it no, your No, I do not have no. a nine to five job. No. I no. left that world two years ago. Two years ago. One of the best decisions I've ever made. Congratulations. It was scary. It was crazy to leave a very lucrative, well-paying career, Yeah, but it was what had to be done. So this is what I've heard from a lot of people that the hardest part can be if you're used to, I don't know how you're, I would assume, you know, your payment strategy was like most either every two weeks, maybe every week, every month. And a lot of people say the hardest part is just not seeing that. I actually even found it just tears as an engineer, but I was making really good money. I mean, we're in the same industry. So, and when I started law school, it, even though I was prepared for it, I, you know, not seeing that come in regularly is a real mind fuck. Even if you know you're fine. I envision a, a lifestyle where I could travel freely, go around the world. I've almost been to 40 countries. My goal is a hundred. For me, it's just goes beyond just making money in real estate. It's about educating and showing people how they can create wealth in real estate. So I think just we need more financial literacy in this world, 100%. Uh, The generations below us are just definitely not getting taught that. And I think it's on us to educate them. Yeah, someone should start a podcast. Yes. (laughs) I'm so with you. I'm so glad you said that. Next question. What has been a silver lining of this pandemic? Obviously we haven't been able to travel and do a lot or until now uh, and do a lot of the fun things. What's been, you know, a nice part of this sort of horrific time for you. Uh, So one of the big silver linings that came out of it, which was uh, looking back at the time, didn't mean much, but to today it's meant a lot is that gyms closed. 
So Oh, I me, hate that gym's closed. I'm so, having a hard time. <laughs> right. So for me, when the gym closed, I, love my gym I, too. I, I wasn't a gym rat, but I did like going to the gym. I was using in the beginning stages of COVID, I was using uh, the gym being closed as an excuse. I got to put that excuse aside. I We don't have a gym. There's no excuse. You can go outside and go for a run. There's plenty of equipment you can buy off Amazon for very, very, very cheap and still get a, a great workout. So I made a goal and I'm proud to share that on December uh, 25th, on Christmas day, I made a goal that I was going to work out 365 straight days. What does a workout look like? It must be 30 minutes of very high intensity activity, running, resistance training, hit training, whatever it may be. But I made a commitment to myself because of COVID. Old me would have been like, I'm, I can't go to the gym today because I'm here or right. I'm there. And now it's like, I basically turned the city, Toronto, into my gym. Cool. So what I started doing was I bought resistance bands. And if I'd see a stop sign, hook them up, start doing rows, whatever. I started doing pull-ups and chin-ups off bus shelters. I was just always finding new kind of ways to, to do exciting things in the city. Started doing box jumps off of benches. And I really said, wow, there is a lot of equipment in the city that we just weren't paying attention to. So for me, it's kind of took me on that journey of I eliminated an excuse because of COVID and found that once the gyms do open back up, I'm going to be forever grateful. I'm going to be like a kid in a candy store when I go back in there. But at the same time, I'm looking at it going, there's no reason why I can't go for a run. Like I'm so grateful that I have the ability to exercise and move my feet and run and walk. So I just learned to not take that for granted. Mm. I see a set of stairs or an escalator. Me personally, I'm taking the stairs. It's not until something's taken away that we do realize how much we really miss it. Because both real estate investing or just money in general is all about compounding gains. What is something you wish you'd known or done earlier? It's the, I wish that I knew what I know now when I was younger question. Yeah. I wish I took more chances to be honest. I wish I bought more real estate and I know it's easy to look back and say, because I'm in that current position right now to say, well, take your own damn advice and go buy more. I let fear sometimes hold me back. I let uh, my external environment hold me back from friends and family. And why do you want to be a landlord? And why are you buying this? And why? And I listened to it when, in fact, I should have been trusting my second brain, which is your gut, and going all in on it. I passed on some properties because I was too analytical. And that's sometimes my demise is that I get too analytical, too cerebral in the deal where you're trying to calculate risk to zero, which you know as an engineer is next to impossible, but with contingency stocked on top of contingencies, what about this? What about that? They eventually just say, this can't be done. Whereas in investing, I would often say, do your due diligence, do the analysis because it's super important, but ultimately use your second brain. Your intuition is the most powerful thing on the planet. And unfortunately, we do not use enough of it. We are so wrapped up in the the analysis of it and all up in our brain space that we don't listen to our gut. There has been times where I took a bad deal and made it good because I trusted my gut. But there's also been times where the numbers looked amazing. I did not have a good gut feeling 
and trusted my analysis. And guess what? It came back to bit me in the ass. Lost money, deal went south, something happened. Could not agree more. And I think even without taking in the difference of your second brain, first brain, I think a lot of people, and I think, you know, especially a lot of women don't trust either of them and trust outside opinions and trust, well, they know more than me. Well, who am I to even, it's insane, but sort of who am I to even understand my own finances? You just feel so much better when you've made a mistake and you're like, but I was so sure that was right. You rumble with it for a bit when you're like, sure it was right. What did I miss? You learn a lot, but you feel so much better than when you're like, I trusted this person or I trusted something outside of myself and it went wrong. And all I want to do is blame them. But I actually think a lot of lawsuits come from this. I think a lot of it is people just being like, I trusted you instead of myself. And now I'm so angry about it. So I think the the self-trust is something we have to learn. It's something you have to practice. It's like a muscle you build. And and just to riff off, I think it's super important to own your mistakes, acknowledge them, but don't bury yourself in it. Don't Mm. continue to ridicule yourself that you made a mistake. Move on for it. Like move on from it. There's so many great books out there. Uh, one called um, The Power of Letting Go, mm. the, the Economy of Leadership by Jocko Willicks. Like I, I could have 10 books that that specialize on that topic where, you know what? You made a mistake. Like you said, it didn't kill you. Learn from it and move on. Ultimately, we're living in this unfortunate vicious cycle where we don't allow ourselves to forgive ourselves. We'll forgive someone else, but we won't forgive our own self mm. for a mistake we made. It's, it's going to happen. You're going to fail at something. And unfortunately, I'm finding this maybe in the younger generation. They're so scared of making a mistake that they just stay in these goalposts called comfort. And they don't sometimes go outside of them because they're worried they're going to fail and make their family look bad or they're going to make a mistake and their friends are going to ridicule them. When you're younger, take the chances. Even if you're 50, take the chances. Like, you got one life to live. I know it's so cliche, but you can't take any of this stuff with you. Forgiveness is not too much to ask. And self-forgiveness is, it can take a moment, but it's so important for everything. I, you mm-hmm. know what? And we're in the middle of a pandemic. We are all going to need to be so generous with our forgiveness when we come out of this. I have thought that so many times with so many things I've seen. So many people at their absolute worst um, making terrible decisions because your worst decisions are the ones you make out of fear will make bad decisions that hurt themselves and others. And I just think we're all going to need to be so generous with the amount of forgiveness. We're just like spreading everywhere when this mm-hmm. is over. 100%. Mm-hmm. How much it meant to hug somebody or give a, someone a handshake. I think that is the biggest thing that we as a society can learn coming out of this pandemic is to show just a massive amount of empathy and sympathy to those that are trying. And now it's time for Money Wins. Money Wins is a way you spent, saved, or invested your money that feels like a win. So Kyle, do you have a money win for us? Some of the big money wins have came into investing in myself. Mm. The conferences, uh, educating myself, getting in rooms with people that were much bigger, much stronger uh, in terms of the real estate side. That 
well, I will often say is where people sometimes are a little frugal, they have no problem spending $200 at a dinner, but will struggle to spend $300 at a three-day event that specializes on educating you in real estate. If you're not sure where to start, start in those rooms. Mm. Spend the small investment. Don't go and, like I said, spend 20 grand on a coach or anything like that. Get in those rooms, start having conversations, and then you'll see that investment tenfold, hundredfold, in my case, probably even a thousandfold, because a small investment of $300 has built a pretty substantial real estate portfolio. And because of the people I was surrounding myself with, uh, if I were to give you kind of a, a, a funny money win, if that makes any sense, yeah. uh, I bought AMC stock when it was $16 and it first spiked when it went from two to $16. Got to admit, got on the Reddit bandwagon, was listening to all these guys in Reddit talking about how good the stock was. It plummeted, like literally after I bought it, plummeted. And I was like, shit, what this? I'm like, why did I take advice from guys in Reddit? Like I was an idiot, <laughs> but I didn't sell it. When it dropped down to like five and six bucks, I said, well, the movie industry is going to come back. So I actually poured a little bit more money into it. And then I left it, got out of the Reddit group, stopped listening to them. And unbeknownst to me, I noticed the one day it was in the news. I'm like, Reddit stock has gone up 100%. I was like, what the hell? So I went and checked. I was like, oh, it went up to $65 at one point. So that I would say is a a bit of a a money win. Big win. Uh, Again, my advice If you get emotionally charged by money, the stock market maybe isn't an avenue for you. I will say real estate is a much better gift for that. And the reason why, because at a click of a button, I can't just go on my phone and say, sell my real estate portfolio. But I can do that in the stock market. Money flows around the world as we're speaking. It's just energy, just keeps moving. And if you hoard it, you're hoarding your energy. So why not give it out to the world and get some energy back? So beautiful. Perfect note to end on. Well, thank you for having me. It was an absolute blast communicating and conversing with you. Yeah. And thank you for your passion and enthusiasm about real estate. I just think it's awesome. I actually don't know a lot of people our age who are true investors and truly have done as well as you have. So congratulations. And I'm so glad that you're spreading the word about it and that you're a speaker and that you're teaching others. I just think that's the best. Well, thank you again. So nice to see you. You as well. Thanks, Leslie. Thank you so much for listening to the Love and Dividends podcast. Please subscribe, share, and rate us with five shining stars on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us rise in visibility to reach more listeners like you. To find out more, visit our website, loveanddividends.com, our Instagram, at loveanddividends, or email me, leslie at loveanddividends.com. This episode was produced by Holly Dodson. Until next time, I'm Leslie Gray, signing off with Love and Dividends.